So, are you here? I asked, but I already knew that you were here. Whether you know it or not, you're listening to the Paul Leslie Hour. We got an exciting interview from the archives today with trumpeter John Lovell. Composer, trumpet player John Lovell's musical careers had some very interesting chapters. Of course, he got some jazz history in there, too. And since April is Jazz Appreciation Month, jam. We thought we'd get this John Lovell interview out there. Now, John Lovell started playing trumpet at five years of age, but professionally, it all started with a Tommy Dorsey Orchestra. Through the years, John got to play with a lot of great acts. The OJs, Tony Bennett, Ben E. King, and Bob Hope. When Paul caught up to talk with Johnny Martini Lovell, he was in Atlanta on one of the off days of the Jimmy Buffett tour. Now, a lot of you know that John Lovell's been performing with Jimmy Buffett and the Coral Reaper Band for more than 30 years, since 1992. Hey, did you all hear about Jimmy Buffett? He's going to release a new album this September 2023. So far, we hear the title of the record is going to be Equal Strain on all parts. Gonna have some really great talent on the album, too. Lanny Gallant and the Preservation Hall Jazz Band, for starters. Yeah, we'll keep you posted. And just remember that the Paul Leslie Hour is made possible by people like you. And you. Oh, and you over there hiding in the corner. Just go to www.thepaulleslie.com slash support. And we thank you right now for listening and supporting. You ready to hear what John Lovell had to say to Paul Edward Leslie? I know I am. Come on, let's listen together. We are welcoming trumpet, flugelhorn, and sometimes percussion player John Lovell, member of Jimmy Buffett's Coral Reaper Band, and member of the swing band Oop Bop Shabam. Thank you very much for speaking with me. You're very welcome. You started playing trumpet at five years old. Why did you like it? Why did I like it? Well, because my dad uh, played the trumpet, and uh, that was my uh, introduction, I guess. I, I guess it tells me I used to sit there and listen to him play at the house all the time because he played around the house a lot. So uh, I guess I just started liking to it. And where were you born? I was born in Indianapolis. Indianapolis? Mm-hmm. What kind of music did you enjoy listening to growing up? Well, growing up, it was pretty much the popular music of the day. I'm assuming that my earliest recollection of listening to music was the Four Seasons, you know, Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons, the Beach Boys, whatever sort of rock popular music was happening at the time. But then as I got a little bit older, out of grade school, toward the end of grade school and the first part of high school, I started listening to a lot of my dad's records that he had made around big band records mainly, stuff like Glenn Miller, Tommy Dorsey, Ray Anthony, he was big, my dad was really into Ray Anthony, so I started listening to those records, and then those records led to other records he had, which were a little bit more jazz-oriented. From there, I just became interested in jazz. Did you always know that you were destined to be a musician? Yeah, yeah, that's all I've ever wanted to do from a very early age, that's all I was ever interested in. Well, it's not all I was ever interested in, but that was my primary interest. We had a little record player. I mean, I used to play with the record player when I was six, seven years old. And when I wasn't doing that, I was beating on pots and pans and 
when I wasn't doing that, I was trying to play the trumpet, I guess. So, yeah, it was a huge part of my life growing up. Tell us about how you began playing with the Tommy Dorsey Orchestra. That came about uh, some friends of mine in Indianapolis who I was working around town with. This one guy named Steve Rudolph, who's living in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania now. I don't know how he got the gig, but he got the call to go do the, do the gig. And he was out for a couple of weeks, and they started needing other players. So he called me to see if I'd be interested in doing it, and I said, sure. No audition, just, okay, you'll do it, great. Here's your plane ticket. <laughs> Here's our first gig. No rehearsal. You just show up, and you're on the gig, and they hand you a sport coat. Wow. <laughs> and then you're playing. That had been quite an experience. It was. It was. That was my first real, I guess, road experience. Wow. Yeah. Not too bad. Yeah, it was fun. <laughs> it, it was fun while it lasted, but then it got old really quick. Oh, yeah? Why yeah. is that? Well, the conditions back, this was like mid-70s, and I don't know how they travel now, but back then we traveled on a Greyhound bus with just seats. It was not a tour bus. It wasn't a fancy tour bus that you see a lot of people travel on today. It's just an old Greyhound bus with seats. And everybody in the band got their own seat because there were like 15 people Yeah. in the band. It's a, a large band. So you had your own seat, which was very uncomfortable. We were doing these ridiculous runs. Like we would play a four hour, a lot of these jobs were four hour jobs. You'd go and play a dance from nine to one or from 10 to two or from eight to 12. Wow. And then after the dance, you'd get on the bus and you would drive 500 miles to the next city. And then oftentimes there was a, a job that night, the very next night. So you'd check into your hotel room about two in the afternoon, grab about a three hour nap and a little bite to eat somewhere. Wow. And then have to go play another four hour job. Then you would have maybe a day off and then it would be another 700 miles to the next job. <laughs> wow. It was crazy. I think I did that for about four months before everybody on the band got sick. There was some kind of flu bug going around. Nobody could take it anymore. I mean, I couldn't take it anymore. Because I wasn't getting better. I got the flu and I just had it for like a week and a half, two weeks and couldn't get rid of it. Nobody could get rid of it. So I just quit. <laughs> so how did you go from that to the OJs? Well, let's see. I got off that, you know, back to Indianapolis. And then another friend of mine named Harry Minima happened to be touring with them. And again, it was just a question of, I guess they needed a trumpet player. And, and Harry was a friend of mine, knew I wasn't working, so he gave me a call. And, and that was the same thing. It was no rehearsal. You just show up and start playing. And I did that for about two, three months, I guess, the summer tour. And that was toward the end of their heyday. We were playing 10,000, 15,000 seat arenas, which was exciting at the time. And we played with a bunch of great acts. We were always the headliner. They always headlined the act. Because back then, they, they were still headlining. They don't do that anymore. I played with, we played with a lot of great acts, like George Duke. We played wow. him for a few gigs, and this was back in the punk era, and his band would all dress up in cellophane and aluminum foil. Because they were like, they were trying to do the George Clinton kind of funkadelic right. type thing. I remember being backstage, and the horn players were all covered in aluminum foil. That was their outfit to, to go on stage. <laughs> we played with a lot of the, I think we did a couple of gigs with George Clinton, all those acts back then. It was really cool. Sounds like an interesting experience. Yeah, it was. It was, and it was a great horn section because it was four trombones, three trumpets, and one sack. So it, had, it was really bottom heavy. Right. And we had a bass bone and three tenors. So it was kind of like a, it was a wild sound. It was huge. It was a huge, so it was really sounding great. 
So what brought you down to Miami, Florida? Oh, well, actually, I was getting ready to move to Philadelphia. My friend, uh, Jim Miller, who I've mentioned before, he, and I got a call from another friend of mine, Lindsey Blair, who I went to high school with in Indianapolis, and he had been attending University of Miami. And they were looking for a trumpet player to uh, fill a spot in the concert jazz band there. So he called me, said that to, asked me if I'd be interested in doing it. I more than likely would be able to get a scholarship of some sort to go there. So um, I put a little tape together, a little resume, and sent it down to the jazz director there. And uh, they called me back and asked me if I'd be interested in coming. They offered me a full scholarship. I could hardly pass that. Yeah, not too bad. Yeah. So I packed my stuff and went down. <laughs> you played with a lot of artists like Tony Bennett, Benny King, and mm-hmm. others. Legends. Is there any in particular that sticks out in your mind? Oh, Tony Bennett was really fantastic. And this was back when he was, his career had sort of ebbed. A lot of people had forgotten about Tony Bennett. And he came to Miami and did a show at, I think it was the Doville Hotel, or one of the one of the older hotels on the beach. And I was working with a contractor at the time who gave me the call to do the gig, like he would call anybody. And he was just the most gracious person in the world. He was really a great person to work for. He was the total joy, and he had a great... He brought his trio. They put they this contracted for other musicians, a complete big band with that around him. And we did a, two shows, I think, at the Dolby. He did all of his hits, got to play his book. It was great. Wow. And he was wonderful. It, it, it was it was wild because the, the success that he has now. I mean, this he was nowhere near that at this time. He was he was pretty much forgotten about. That's hard to believe. Yeah, it is. <laughs> what kind of music has caught your ear lately and what do you listen to? Wow. Uh, <laughs> well, I listen to everything. Right now, I'm listening to, for example, Gerald Finzi. I listen to quite a bit of classical music. And so right now, I'm listening to this sort of whole group of British composers, the romantics from the early 19th century, Rafe Vaughn Williams, Arnold Bax, and lately, Gerald Finzi. I just turned Peter on to some of this uh, music of Gerald Finzi. He's got, it's very romantic. It's very uh, lush, harmonically. It's very tonal. But there's a lot of inner movement, inner, inner voice movements, which is really interesting. It's beautiful music. So I listen to that, and I listen to, of course, I, you know, I listen to jazz all the time, too. But I think of some specific people I've been listening to lately. John Swana, the trumpet player from Philadelphia. I listen to him quite a bit. Great jazz trumpet player that nobody knows, knows about unless you're a musician. You know who he is, but he lives in Philly, and he goes back and forth to New York and plays jobs. He's pretty well known up in that area, but outside of that area, he's not very well known. He's a tremendously talented drummer. And I listen to a lot of world music, a lot of Brazilian music. If it's good, I listen to it, and I seek out all genres. I mean, that's like everything. Well, speaking of all genres, there's a lot of music out there that features trumpet. Not just jazz, and I know you are a jazz player, but you've also played Latin jazz and swing also. Mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite style to play? Well, I really enjoy playing Latin jazz a lot because I get to play percussion, which is something else that I do that I really enjoy. So whenever I can combine the two, I'm happy. So the, I really enjoy doing that. I try to work in that genre as much as I can. So how did you become a member of Jimmy Buffett's Coral Reefer Band? Well, that happened as a result of another friend of mine named Ed Kaye, who uh, is a Miami area saxophone player. He's got a few albums out under his name, too. He had done some studio work for Jimmy in Miami. Apparently, they called him looking for, they were looking to expand the group. I guess at the time, Amy Lee was playing sax, and that was it. And they were looking to add another sax player and a, and a trumpet player. So he, I guess he called, or somebody from the organization called Ed for some recommendations. 
Ed had recommended me, so I got a call from, uh, I believe it was the tour manager at the time, and I was working at Circuit City full-time. I, I was a sales manager at Circuit City, basically working full-time. They just said, send a tape, and I'll buy a picture, which I did. Not even thinking that anything would come of it, because I've had a lot of those kind of offers over the years, particularly back then, and I'd already sort of stopped playing music on a regular basis, because I'd been, work, I'd been at Circuit City for about three years, something I, I had had to do as a result of not being able to find enough work, you know, in the Miami area. So I sort of just did it as a lark, on a lark, not thinking I would ever hear back from him. But, you know, about two weeks later, I got, I got the call back when they offered me the job. So I decided, well, I'm going to try this. And here you are. And here I am, 16 years later. <laughs> what did you think of Jimmy Buffett when you met him? I thought he was great. Very nice guy. Really a pleasure to work for. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was a lot of fun. When playing with the Corey band, what tunes have you really enjoyed playing on? Well, there's quite a few. Of course, I really enjoyed playing on the, the songs that I get a little solo on. So Pencil Thin Mustache, Halloween Tijuana is great because I get, a, I get kind of a Latin type solo on that. And then the, the other things that required the full horn section, when we had the full horn section, I just loved doing that. And any of those songs were great. You just mentioned the song Halloween in Tijuana, yeah. Desperation Samba. Desperation Samba. That's something that you added a, you add a lot to, and I really like the work on Cinco de Mayo in Memphis. Mm-hmm. What song do you think you've really put your stamp on? Well, as far as recordings go, or recordings or in, in the live performance. In the live performance, I guess I would have to say Pencil Thin Mustache. I mean, it's a pretty simple tune, but you know the the trumpet solo adds a real New Orleans flavor to it, which I think is pretty appealing, and I really enjoy. It. I don't know if I've really put my stamp on any anything else other than that, you know. Um, the Cinco de Mayo thing was, was something that we did in the studio, and it was kind of, it was not written out. I just sort of followed along with what uh, Robert Greenwich was doing on the pans. But that, that was kind of an interesting little piece, I thought, and just kind of off the cuff, not planned out. It came out really well. Yeah, I thought so. Is there a member of the Coral Reefer band you feel especially close to? <laughs> no, not really. Everybody gets along really well. I can't think of any one person that... I feel any closer to them than any uh, anybody else. I remember T.C. Mitchell, he was telling me after I did an interview with him, he said, I'll tell you who I'd love for you to get a hold of. He said, I'd love you to get a hold of John Lovell. Oh. <laughs> he said, I'd love to hear it. Just what he has to say. Oh. <laughs> so he's going to get to hear it. Well, I get, I get to talk to Tom every now and then. He lives right down the street from me. Oh, yeah? Yeah. yeah. We, we literally live about 10 houses from each other. So how did you get the nickname of Johnny Martini? <laughs> I've always wondered that. <laughs> well, that that happened during the Domino College Tour, which I think was 92 or 90. No, no. That was 93 or 94. It was one of, the, one of my first tours. And the reason that whole name came about, actually, that was Jimmy's idea because we were sitting around. We were, I think we were in Dallas. And we were all sitting around the table having martinis, which was one of my favorite drinks at the time. I would always order a martini. So we just happened to sit there, and I just happened to order a martini, and he just looked at me and said, Johnny Martini. <laughs> we had a little laugh. And then from that, I don't know if it was that year or the year after, this Domino College tour, they were looking for a character to come out and do the soliloquy on, uh, what's the name of the tune? Gypsies in the Palace. There's the soliloquy in front. So I was volunteered. <laughs> I volunteered, but I was volunteered as well. To come out and do it as Johnny Martini and sort of a, a character act, a Johnny Martini is sort of like a uh, an old Vegas musician who drinks a little too much. So I did it. So we started putting this thing together, and it just kind of evolved into this character, Johnny Martini. And then we, we started finding other things for me to do during other portions of the show. I would go up and stand with the girls and sing with them, and they would start me out in this white tuxedo, 
that, that was looked perfect and then progressively got more tattered by the end of the show. So that when I came out and did my soliloquy on gypsies, I looked, I looked like I had tire tracks on the back of the tuxedo, just torn and ripped. And I looked like I just you know, got up from the Bowery. So you actually sang in the show? I didn't sing. I just pretended to sing. Oh, okay. <laughs> I basically danced. I mean, I got up with the girls and just kind of danced around, acted goofy. <laughs> There's a Latin jazz artist named Sammy. Tell us about your experience with him and his band, Latin Jazz Explosion. Oh, well, Sammy, that's Sammy Figueroa, his Latin Jazz Explosion. Yeah, he had this band in Miami for, well, before I got involved with him, you know, the band had been together and uh, had just used a saxophone. Been together for about a year, and they were playing around the Miami area. The bass player for that band, his name is uh, Nicky Orta. He plays in in our band with Jeff Taylor, who Bob Chapin. And he just mentioned to me once, he said, hey, you ought to come out and just sit in with us sometime to see how that would work out. He thought I would enjoy it. So they had some kind of a little concert that they did on the beach one evening, and he said, you know, come on out and bring your horn and just sit in, you know, which I did. And uh, it worked out to, It worked out really well. I just started playing on a regular basis. There's a really soothing piece on the album that he has called And Sammy Walk In, Sammy Figueroa. Mm-hmm. And it's called Mirage. Oh, yeah. And I was hoping you could tell us about that song. Well, that's one of my songs. It was a song that I had written several years earlier. Just had the opportunity to bring it in to see if it would work out for that particular format, and it did. So we started performing it quite a bit, and when we had a chance to do the album, he wanted to include it on the album, which I was real happy about. That answers the next question about your song. I was going to ask if you write many songs. Yeah. And I was wondering, have you ever thought of a solo album? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I thought of it. <laughs> Is there That's as far plan? as it's gotten. No plans to record anything? Yeah, I, I have plans to do something. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I just have to find the right people to do it with and, and the right people to record it. That That's going to take a little time, but... Yeah, I'm, I'm planning on doing something. I have, no, I have nothing, you know, hard and set right at the moment. But I'm definitely thinking about doing it. So tell us about the band Oop Shabat. Well, that's a it's a cover band basically. Uh, we don't do we did some original material for the album that we did, but it's basically a cover band. And it started we actually started as a swing band back when swing was enjoying a little resurgence in popularity, and uh, we were working around town doing swing gigs and you know we would just kind of dress the part with the ties and, and whatnot and uh, then we got this we landed this gig in um, Fort Lauderdale at Mangos and it was two nights a week to start with sort of where we ended up at some point the uh, management there got tired of the swing they were looking to change the group and Jeff went to him and said hey look you know we're just doing the swing thing because that's what we thought you wanted I and mean, if you want us to do some other things it's no problem so now we've sort of evolved into a we play a little bit of everything we, we play everything from Sinatra to disc but we're all jazz players. When it's not too crowded in the club and we don't feel like we have to play a lot of dance music, we, we slip in a lot of jazz stuff for our own benefit. <laughs> I'll tell you, Jeff Taylor has a fantastic voice. He's very he really talented. Does. Yeah. He's a great, he's really a great singer. Yeah, I really, really enjoy working with him. He's one of my best friends as well. Guy's a great talent, great guitar player. Who out there do you especially respect as a trumpet player? Well, there's a lot. John Swan is, I think, one of my favorite trumpet players. Right now, I like Nicholas Payton a lot. Um, a lot of these younger players like Terrell Stafford and um, 
There's a young trumpet player in New York who is, uh, I think he just graduated from Juilliard. He's a friend of Rouse. It's Ian Charles, really great player. You know, other than that, oh, Bobby Shue is another one that I've been listening to a lot lately. It's Bobby Shue. He's got a great album called Salsa Caliente. Great album. Great player. Do you have a favorite memory as a musician? A favorite memory? Wow. Well, there's so many. There's, you know, I'd be hard pressed to pick a favorite memory. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a tough. Not really. I don't have a. There's too many to pick from. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't dwell on any particular memory. When someone hears you perform, whether on a recording or in person, what is it that you hope the listener gets out of the experience? Well, just the basically enjoyment. That's what we're up there, you know, to do. I, I hope that they're getting some sense of enjoyment. It's entertainment, bottom line. And when it's a when it's not Jimmy Buffett which is primarily entertainment, but it's also musical. If it's a jazz kind of thing where it's a smaller group and it's a little more musically challenging, then you hope that you know that people come away with an interest in, in that. Traveling around, you've had the chance to visit a lot of cities. What is your favorite place to play out of? Well, my favorite city or favorite venue that we play with Jimmy? Or? Kind of a little bit of both. Well, my favorite city that I really enjoy is, is uh, Chicago. I just really love the city, and I kind of grew up in Indianapolis, so... That's a city that I've known for quite some time. There's a lot going on there musically, nightlife and whatnot. In New York City, we're going to New York in a couple of days, and I'm going to be out hitting the clubs, listening to whoever's out there from the jazz world. So I'd have to say those two cities are my favorites. When you're on the road, what is it that you like to do when you're not performing? <laughs> I like to sit in my room and uh, Google on my computer. Um, and the other thing I like to do is, uh, well, this is what I used to do. I don't do it as much anymore. My big thing was visiting used bookstores. Oh, yeah? Yeah. They collect used books. And um, so I would find a bookstore or two or three in whatever town we were in, and I'd just make a beeline there, and I'd come home with boxes of books. <laughs> and the same with CDs. I would always look for a used CD store. I spent a lot of my time doing that. And then I, I practice a lot. Um, I try to practice a couple hours a day when I'm on the road. I've got a mute that I can put in the trumpet, so I don't bother anybody. I can usually put in two, three hours a day. So I try to do that. Is this, I have two final questions. Mm -hmm. This question is serious. Okay. It sounds like a joke, but a lot of people, I've found that you really find out a lot about a person's personality, and it always reveals a little gem. What is your all-time favorite meal? My all-time favorite meal that I've had or that I would like to have? Both. <laughs> uh, let's see my all time favorite meal um, oh my all time favorite meal was at a restaurant in uh, North Miami Beach with my wife <laughs> I'm trying to think of the because I haven't eaten there in a while uh, the, the chef's name is uh, Militello that's his last name I'm trying to think of his first name fantastic meal Italian my favorite food so um, this is an incredible plus we could just can't remember I'd like to plug in but I can't remember everybody needs to go Google that name then yeah Militello some... you Google Militello and his, his uh, I'm sure the restaurants will come up the last question thanks to technology this is going out all over the world mm -hmm. my last question what would you Mr. John Lovell like to say to the world <laughs> oh, oh I hate those kind of questions <laughs> I have nothing to say to the world except hello, <laughs> I'm here. Check us out. I have nothing important to say other than uh, I'm happy to be doing what I'm doing. Well, I think that's actually a pretty good statement. <laughs> but there's a lot of people that aren't happy with, it, with what they're doing. There's a lot of people that aren't. You know, I'm very lucky. I consider myself to be very lucky to be doing what I'm doing. Well, I'd like to thank you, sir, thank you. for the interview and sure. keeping the music alive. Absolutely. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you for stopping by today. If you enjoyed our program, consider telling a friend about it. The Paul Leslie Hour is made possible through people just like you. 
So you want to keep the show going, right? Go to thepaulleslie.com. That's thepaulleslie.com. Click on Support the Show. And thanks to everyone who contributes. Performance of the intro music is courtesy of John Primerano, The Entertainer, written by Scott Joplin. End credit theme music is courtesy of John Primerano, the traditional song, Corina, Corina. Your announcer is Dan Gold. Hey, that's me. The show is hosted and produced by Paul Leslie. And we'll see you next time on the Paul Leslie Hour.